Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, if you lost track of the days and you're sitting on your couch panicking a little bit because you're responsible for buying your wife a gift from your kids and this is all news to you, don't worry. Just play it cool uh, because in a few minutes I'm going to ask you to turn to a Bible verse and what you're going to do is you're going to pick up your phone, act like you're turning to one of the, the verses I'm telling you, but you're actually going to order lunch uh, online, have it delivered. We got you covered. Just, just play it cool, though. This part's on you. Uh, most of you have been um, watching the news. I know I've been probably a little bit obsessive about it. Uh, of course, every day, I mean, multiple times a day, there's breaking updates about uh, COVID-19 and all the details with that. Uh, and then, of course, this last week, even though these were events that took place in February, a lot of us learned about the story of Ahmad Arbery and just were disturbed and troubled by that and have had some responses to that situation. Um, earlier this week, my, uh, my, my children, even it filtered down to, to my kids, they heard this uh, phrase, murder hornets. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but evidently there's some sort of new bee that is just absolutely terrifying, as if bees and hornets weren't terrifying enough. You had the word murder on it. And after hearing, one of, uh, hearing that, one of my kids actually was sitting on the stairs and they were like, well, uh, I guess it's the end of the world. And I thought that was pretty appropriate that we're preaching through the book of Revelation. Um, we are in chapters 2 and 3. We've gone all the way through chapter 2, so today starts chapter 3. And we're reading these seven letters that Jesus dictated uh, to his apostle John. So they're letters from Jesus. Jesus himself is giving people their annual review, giving these churches their annual review. And it's, it's really helpful to learn uh, the critiques that Jesus is offering these people about their discipleship, what he cares about. And what we're learning that Jesus deeply cares about is revival. I mean, these churches are, in many cases, are slowly dying, and Jesus is not uh, interested in that happening. They're hanging on by a thread, and he wants to bring them back from the brink. So if you have your Bibles, slash ordering lunch for your wife, um, I want you to open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1, first part of verse 1. This is what it says. To the angel... Of the church in Sardis. Sardis is the town that is being written to. Not, we don't know a ton about it, but one little cool piece of information is this is where uh, Aesop of Aesop Fables fame uh, might have been from. Uh, and he says, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, when you uh, read that at first, I mean, I think the, the educated reader is going to scratch their heads a little bit and think, seven spirits, what is the seven spirits? I thought there was one spirit. Now, it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and it's about the character of God. And Isaiah lists seven attributes of the character of God that people were familiar with. Now, I, we've been saying this all along, and this is no different, but to get revelation, you have to be familiar with the language of the Hebrew Bible. You just have to know what those authors were saying because John transports many of those concepts and metaphors and words into the book of Revelation to describe what he's seeing and, uh, and what, he's, uh, what he's trying to explain to the people to whom he's writing. So if people, it's like people who just watch the sequel to a movie and are confused and asking questions. Well, you know, of course, you can't just start with Empire Strikes Back. But then secondly, he talks about the seven stars. Now, this is way too early in a sermon to jump into some, some deep history, but this is so cool. I think you're going to appreciate it. So last week, I mentioned Domitian. So he's the uh, Roman emperor in charge of everything at the time of these letters. 
now, these emperors tended to uh, de be declared gods after they died. So they had temples, people worshipped them, the whole, whole nine yards. But Domitian kind of got ahead of himself, and he actually declared himself a god before he died. And I would imagine that having to live uh, as a living god has to be a lot of pressure. So one of the things he did, one of among many, is he minted coins in his own honor. So it'd be kind of like going to the trophy store and getting yourself a trophy. So he put his profile on the front of this thing, and then his son is on the back sitting on a globe. So you see that on the back. By the way, this is a fun little fact. They knew that the earth was round. But now notice Domitian, his son, how many stars are on that coin? If you count them, you can pause it if you need to. So listen to this. Come on, this is, this is good. The self-declared son of God has seven stars, saying, implying that he controls this, the universe. And Jesus, in this letter, he writes, Oh, uh, hello, I am the actual son of God, and I control the universe. I have the seven stars. And I thought, man, even for those of you that hated history in high school, you got to admit, that's pretty cool. Jesus is throwing some uh, first century shade. So look at the second half of this verse, though. Revelation 3, 1, the second half. This is the, uh, the, the uh, meat of this letter. He goes, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now think about this. Think about the way that people were taking in this information. All seven letters went to all seven churches and beyond. I mean, we're reading them today. So they all read all the letters. It's kind of like that teacher who would post the test results on the wall outside of the classroom. Of course, you're going to look at how other people did. Now, we are in letter five of seven, and so far the pattern has been pretty consistent. It's sort of an encouragement sandwich, you know how that works, where you start off and you say some nice things, some compliments, you're doing a good job here, and then you slip in in the, me, uh, in the middle a little tough feedback, and then you wrap up with a few more compliments. It's the encouragement sandwich, the Mary Poppins approach, just a spoonful of sugar. So the church in Sardis has to be thinking, hey, everyone likes us. We have a great reputation. We, we, we test well. We have to have done well. I wonder what nice things Jesus is going to say about us. But plot twist, there is zero positive affirmation. Nothing. Jesus doesn't have anything good to say about them, which is kind of shocking. It is all medicine, no sugar. Jesus rips the Band-Aid right off. I mean, talk about the bedside manner of this doctor. You are dead. This is not the meek and mild version of Jesus that we sometimes expect. And it's just this pronouncement. You're dead. Now, we warned you that these letters are kind of harsh to our ears, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that reputation piece in the study guide, so you can open up the email you received this in, or you can go online to our website. We have a study guide talking about what that reputation was all about. Um, but this description is honestly, for quite a few of us, is going to hit painfully close to home. Because a lot of us have to admit that from the outside, things look fine. We test well. We present well. But when things get quiet, when there's a little less distraction, I mean, we, we take an internal assessment and we know something's wrong. Something's off. We're not where we should be. We're not who we should be. We're not the, the, the fathers and parents and, and husbands and wives that we should be. 
It's kind of like the spiritual version of a check engine light. Now, I know everybody's a little different, but maybe my approach to a check engine light where the thing comes on and I'm like, well, the car's still running. So, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, is this engine going to blow at any second? So it's important to talk just for a minute about what does it mean to be dead, spiritually speaking. Jesus is, this is the, uh, the accusation. And, and it's really uh, tricky here because in places like this, verses like this, we can impose our own definitions on these concepts. And so we can just take our own hobby horse and say, well, that's what it means to be dead spiritually. Now, um, a few years ago, uh, Karina and I were on vacation. We attended a local church, and it's no secret that I love going to other church services. It's, I don't know, something because it's the field of work I'm in. Uh, so when I'm on vacation, I will spend uh, a crazy amount of time researching local churches. Like, you know, some people will plan out a tour, and I'll, we'll hit the early service here, the later service here. But this church, I almost didn't make it through the entire services. And this is coming from someone who loves church and also kind of loves, you know, the quirky, eccentric churches, too. Now, I want to be uh, careful about critiquing other churches. And I, I honestly feel like as soon as I said that, some of you tuned in. You're like, turn up the volume. I want to hear this critique of other churches. But it's generally not helpful to point out flaws in other churches. Just, you know, we don't want to do that to make ourselves feel better. And, and there's, you know, any church, including ours, we have plenty of our own flaws. And we can appreciate some eccentricities and quirks. But this was different. So let me give you an example, or let me tell you exactly what this was like. So we walk into the building, and we have zero interaction with anybody in that building. Like, no eye contact, not even a head nod, nothing. It was as if we weren't even there. So, honestly, this was like an introvert's dream church. Nobody knew you were there. The song service was awful, and I'm not talking like in that off-key but enthusiastic way. You know, I could get behind that all day long. Um, the song service, like the enthusiasm level was like being at the DMV. It was just, it was rough. It was draining. And, and so, okay, well, hey, maybe worshiping in song isn't their thing. That's fine. Then you got to the communion and the sermon, and this is true, <laughs> and I should be careful, but to say that those elements of the service were trite and boring would be to give the words trite and boring a bad reputation. Now, I know, I have preached some stinkers, but man, this was rough. And so I actually turned to Corrine and I said, we have got to get out of here because I could feel my sense of belief in God being drained from me. I mean, I, I, there was a danger I'd walk out of here an atheist and she wouldn't let me leave. Now afterward, when we had left, and of course nobody said anything to us as we left either, I realized what it was that felt so strange and odd. It just felt like everything here was lifeless. It felt like this church was on life support and a machine was doing the breathing for it. And I thought, man, when I read that description in Revelation, this is what comes to mind. Now, I have to, you know, to be fair, what happens on Sunday morning is only a fraction of church life. I hope we all understand that. And every church has their off days. I know we have. I can think of my own top 10 off days at church. And my opinion is totally subjective. You know, maybe this church is doing an incredible job of feeding the poor and supporting global missions. I don't know. But it felt like watching Christianity on autopilot. So when I read this accusation from Christ about a dead church, boy, this came to mind for me. And it wasn't like this church was teaching false doctrine. It wasn't compromise. It wasn't any of those accusations that you read in the other letters. It was just that this church that I had attended just felt like it had no life. On paper, it probably looked great, 
but then there was nothing there. Now, if you have time this week, this is also on your study guides, but Jesus talked about life and death and spiritual terms in a couple different places, Matthew uh, 8 and Luke 15. In fact, in Luke 15, that's a reference to the prodigal son, and the, the father is so happy as he explains to the older brother. He says, hey, your brother was dead, and now he's alive again. Um, but what he is describing using those terms is he's talking about people who had checked out of what was most important and fixated on things that didn't matter. For a lot of us, it's easy to think like, well, hey, if I'm not actively pursuing evil, then I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm not worshiping Satan, I'm not selling drugs, so I'm fine, right? But that low standard for, for self-assessment is exactly the problem because discipleship on life support is when we're happy settling with a low-cost, minimum involvement, maintaining appearances, watered-down version of discipleship. Unless we are allowing ourselves to be made uncomfortable by truth, Unless we are wrestling with sin that is present in our lives, unless we are experiencing moments of repentance or conviction, then we're just lifeless. C.B. Caird was this uh, really influential uh, theology professor. Uh, all these guys back in the 50s and 60s just used their first uh, two initials for some reason. So if there's an, like a, a religious author that you like, there's a good chance that this was the guy that they liked. N.T. Wright, folks like that, studied under him. Here's how he described this lifeless discipleship that he saw in this letter to Sardis. This is, this is a great quote. Listen. Content, or they were content with mediocrity, lacking both enthusiasm to entertain heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance. It was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. The perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. These guys had an eloquent way of leveling an insult. I wish we could bring that back. But here's the real danger of lifeless discipleship. It's not, it's not a worry that our lives aren't going to be perfect because we know that they're not. We know we're always going to have this wrestling with sin. But it's that lifeless disciples are impervious to the wake-up call. They're sleeping through the fire alarm. They've fallen asleep at the will and the rumble strips on the edge of the road aren't waking them up. So look at Jesus' uh, solution in verse 2. That was just one verse, I know. Verse 2, Revelation 3. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now, I pray, I hope, that some of you in the last few weeks, as we've been talking about these churches in Revelation, have felt a little tug, maybe a spark of conviction, just a little, a little, uh, a little flame, a little fire. Maybe it's a voice that says, hey, uh, I think this applies to you, or maybe it's a nudge towards repentance, just a thought that maybe I need to get something right. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen to that. Follow that voice. Come back to the light. You strengthen what remains, that little piece of you that is still fixated and focused and cares about the things of God. But then he says in the second half of this verse, he goes, For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. I have been getting some uh, home improvement stuff done around the house. Um, now, this would be great, and uh, except for the fact, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, uh, but here it is for the record, that some of the things that I am finally getting done have been half done for years. I'm not weeks, not months, 
years. And the problem is, is that if you don't actually finish the thing that you're doing, you get used to living in this half-done house. This is why uh, people don't usually get all their, their home improvement to-do list things done until they're actually trying to sell the place. Because what happens is you just stop noticing after a while. I mean, or, hey, are you ever going to put trim up? Well, yeah, maybe. Just kind of got used to it. Uh, Patrick, there are exposed wires here. Well, we're going for the industrial look. If you've come to our house, you know exactly what I mean. And so this would be a good opportunity to pray for my wife. She's very patient with this sort of thing. But I'm working on it. Jesus says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And I think this is a really interesting critique he offers because it's a little bit different than what you would expect. It's not stop sinning or start doing good. It's you are about to die because you have things that are left undone. And I think this is the essential problem of lifeless discipleship. It's apathy. It's just a shrugging of the shoulders saying, eh, we're not the worst person in the world, but eh, no big deal. How many of us have elements in our discipleship that we're eventually going to get around to? Maybe some struggles that we really should take care of someday. Maybe some of you have thought, yeah, I really need to get my prayer life in order, and I'm going to put that on my to-do list. Some of you are thinking like, yeah, there are some broken relationships, and I, I really need to work on that, but not right now. There's other things going on. i got to read this news about the murder hornets. There are so many aspects of our spiritual remodel that are undone. And here's the struggle. Here's the struggle for me, and I'm guessing it is for you as well. We like to excuse ourselves based on our intentions. Because all of us, every single one of us, have awesome intentions. I mean, if my home improvement was based on my intentions, I would live in this incredibly beautiful house. Um, if our intentions are all that matter, we're all getting A pluses. If our intentions are what God is looking at, we're all Mother Teresa because we all have these incredible, wonderful, aspirational, awesome intentions. But if you start to check our actual deeds, like Jesus uses that term, I know your deeds. I have found your deeds unfinished. Because here's the problem. We excuse ourselves by our intentions, based on our intentions. But Jesus is going to judge us based on our intentions and our actions. And so we have to ask ourselves, how many of us are content living in a discipleship house that are just mid-remodel, and we're just going to get to it someday, and eventually nothing happens? This is what Jesus says in verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, listen, you're on life support. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I'm going to pull the plug. Whoa, Jesus, that's intense. I bought my very first vehicle when I was 19 years old. I know it's a little after the typical 16-year-old get your license and get a car. Um, but it was this little red Datsun pickup. I don't know how many of you remember those. You don't see those around too much anymore. And it was about 20 years old when I bought it, but I loved this thing. I loved it. I took care of it. I washed it. I cleaned it for the week and a half that I owned it. <laughs> now, I had it just over a week before I completely totaled it. Now, the problem was I, I wasn't being reckless. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of points in my life you could say, well, there, but not with this, not with this driving. I wasn't engaging in any sort of risky behavior, the sort of thing that makes teenage boys have to pay extra insurance for. What happened was, is I just fell asleep at the wheel and somehow walked away. 
I couldn't find the after picture. I was going to show it to you. Um, but it was this crushed mess of, of a red, tiny red pickup on the back of this flatbed truck. It's like someone had taken a sheet of paper and just crumpled it up. And honestly, I'm, I'm so grateful that I was able to walk away without any damage. I think our spiritual lives can be the same way. It's not that maybe you're engaged in this risky behavior. Maybe you are indulging in sin and you've got secret things in your life that you need to repent of. But I think for a lot of Christians, that's not the problem. It's not that there's something deep and dark going on in their lives. It's, and, and this letter doesn't call anything like that out. It's just that for a lot of us, we're asleep at the wheel and we're headed for the ditch. And Jesus comes along and says, you need to wake up and repent. You have deeds left unfinished. So I hope and pray that the Spirit is working, that there is a tug in your heart, that you're thinking about the elements of your discipleship remodel that still need to be taken care of, the things that you need to do, the fact that maybe you are kind of just walking around on autopilot and you haven't really allowed the Spirit of God to transform you in years. I pray that right there in your living rooms or your kitchens or on your morning run or whatever it is you're doing as you listen to this, that you will allow the Spirit to wake you up to repentance because that is the only way back on the path. All right, next week is our final letter. Um, now, this next letter has some of the most well-known language in all seven of these letters, uh, but there are some, some, some surprises as well. Uh, I'm excited to share it with everybody. So hopefully you'll be able to tune back in next week. But for now, I hope that we can think about our lives, whether or not we're kind of on autopilot, we're just set the cruise control, and we're just, we're just cruising along because God has given us this opportunity to focus and think and transform ourselves, and the Spirit is calling us to repentance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for a, uh, for a chance to think about our own lives and to, to try to honestly self-assess. And Lord, for the people that are listening that can't do that, I pray that you would bring voices into their lives that help them understand uh, that they have just gone on cruise control and they have not allowed the Spirit uh, to transform them. Lord, I pray for our church that we would see repentance, that we'd see stories of, uh, of, of restitution and redemption. Lord, I pray that you would help us be people who are transforming to be more like your son. Help us experience the revival that you're calling us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week.